Hello and welcome to episode 664 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR and we are entering the worst week of the year. Yes, that's right. It's Thanksgiving week, which means it's time for the annual tradition of me being overwhelmed with guilt because my family is eating out the asshole of a turkey while I, of course, am stressed out of my mind, hiding in my office with a Kia on the three-game slate. But of course, I'll spare you another Thanksgiving rant. I've said my piece on Thanksgiving before, and it really does piss people off. So yes, happy Thanksgiving. What a great time to be alive. Hope you all have a great one. Anyway, a few things I wanted to touch on here today. First, sorry I missed last week's solo podcast. I had some human interaction the previous week, shook some hands, and I know better. I know better than to do that during the NFL season. Won't happen again. What I planned to touch on last week, though, was this idea of blowouts in DFS, and specifically NFL DFS. So two weeks ago, the Cowboys were 17, 18, 19-point favorites over the New York Giants. Everyone brushed off the Dallas stuff. Oh, they won't be pushed. Dak isn't going to have to throw very much. Dak Prescott ends up just 7% owned. CeeDee Lamb, 12%. Jake Ferguson, 6%. Brandon Cooks, 1%. They go on to score 49 points against the Giants. Dak goes for 404 yards and four touchdowns. They break the slate. I would note that on that slate also, Tony Pollard was 23% owned. Everyone's just leaning into the same narrative that they were going to get very rush heavy. So by playing Dak stuff, you gain this incredible leverage on that narrative. You know, Leone played the Dak double in the Dome, got second. I played the Dak triple in small field on FanDuel, somehow didn't win, but nevertheless. A couple years ago, Gary, our own Gary Hartman, won the Millie Maker with a Mahomes stack against the Jets when they were 15, 18-point favorites. And my point is that I think the field is thinking about blowouts wrong. The NFL is not like the NBA. In the NBA, teams can blow out in a ton of different ways. Maybe the second unit catches fire. Maybe the other team is just so bad that the stars don't even have to score, really. But in the NFL, no one pulls starters until they're up four touchdowns at least. And most teams really don't take their foot off the gas until the fourth quarter, no matter what the score is. If the Cowboys are going to score 30 points, and in that home game against the Giants, I thought that was incredibly likely, I want to play them. Give me the team that's going to score 30 points. I'll let the chips fall where they may. I felt that way about Dolphins stuff this past week in week 11. They were 13 and a half, 14 point favorites over the Raiders. A lot of people were playing Devon Achan. I thought Tua doubles, Tua Tugavailoa doubles were really strong. You know, it didn't work out. They flamed out in the second half offensively, but I still thought that was right. You know, same with Brock Purdy as a 14 point favorite in week 11. So yeah, just something I've been thinking about. Other thing I wanted to mention was the idea of injuries this season and best ball. I really do enjoy best ball, best ball drafts. I did 77 best ball drafts over the spring, summer, mostly mid high stakes stuff. I think there's a pretty big edge. And it also ensures that throughout the spring and summer, I'm always thinking about how I value players versus the market. Tried to convey that when we did the Market Monday podcast every Monday this offseason. The injuries this year, though, in the NFL, frankly, especially at the quarterback position, it really does seem worse than usual. You know, we've had 11 quarterbacks go down already, plus Justin Jefferson, 
plus Nick Chubb, Cooper Cup, Mark Andrews, you know, to name some stars. And so I looked through my best ball teams and my best ones. I'm like, man, this team isn't even that great. But then I look closer and it's like, oh, I have 18 healthy, active, contributing guys. This is a smash, right? So honestly, I'm not sure what actionable takeaways there are really from that. I'll have to think about that more. We can't go into a best ball draft saying, oh, we know who's going to get hurt. You know, we can't do that. I would never in a million years project missed games for Nick Chubb or Joe Burrow or even someone like Anthony Richardson, who we know is going to run a lot and put himself in danger. I wouldn't project missed games for him either. It's just so hard to project injuries. You know, we can't dock Garrett Wilson because we quote unquote know Aaron Rodgers is going to go down. My best teams, of course, are the ones where I hit on late round quarterback and late round running back. And and honestly, that's what most of my teams look like anyways. I think that's the right way to play season long and, well, definitely best ball. Depends on the format for season long. But, you know, my most owned players in best ball are Brian Robinson, Zach Charbonnet, Jalen Warren, James Cook, you know, Rashad Penny, Cy, Jeff Wilson, Cy, David Montgomery, Ty Chandler. Evan Hall, Cy, Kenny Gainwell, Cy. You know, the backup running backs who I think are good. And then at quarterback, my best teams are the Purdy ones, the Howell ones, the ones where I took three quarterbacks late and hit on Purdy or Howell or something like that. And and I guess my point is that I think the way to build a super team is this way. Effectively, bet on the backup running backs because we know the failure rate and injury rate at running back is so high and replacement level running backs can succeed in the real NFL, whereas replacement level wide receivers can't. And then at quarterback, just really concentrate on the backdoor stacks and hope you get some hits. Purdy, due to the obvious efficiency upside, given all the talent around him. Howell, due to rushing ability and Eric Bieniemy, you know, those were great choices. I also have a bunch of Derek Carr, which isn't great. You know, Desmond Ritter, which isn't great. Ryan Tannehill, which is dead. But yeah, I still think that was right. And hopefully gives me ways to mitigate injuries, but... Yeah, I don't know. I just want to get some best ball things off my chest here around the halfway point. We talk about it so much all summer, and then it just disappears, which, you know, doesn't seem right. Oh, last thing I need to hit on before listener questions. So I'm sure many of you heard or are aware that ESPN Bet launched last week. Just some quick background on this so everyone is clear. ESPN is not actually operating their own book, right? They have done a branding, promotional partnership with Penn Gaming. You know, that would be like, we could do the same thing, you know, establish the run sportsbook, but it, we don't actually have a sportsbook. Obviously it's, it's Penn. And yes, this is the same Penn Gaming who did a $500 million deal with Barstool for the quote unquote Barstool book, then realized it was a failure and bailed selling Barstool back to Portnoy for $1. So all that has changed here is the branding. Penn's book, Penn Gaming's book, went from the quote-unquote Barstool Sportsbook to now, quote, ESPN bet. That's it. However, anecdotally, from what I can tell, is the ESPN bet platform is off to a much better start than Barstool was. Way more popular. You know, way more people signing up. Way more people using the book. And, And I think that speaks to how much brand trust matters. Yeah, you can say ESPN has fallen off from where it was when I was a kid. You know, and I'd agree to some degree. When I was a kid, all I did was watch ESPN 24-7. You can say Barstool is the new era, the new generation. I have no problem with Barstool. I know it's controversial. I find some of their stuff really funny, whatever. I find some of their stuff not funny at all. But when it comes to 
people's money and gambling and trust, I just can feel that most normies out there, most people in society, they have way more faith in ESPN. Way more. And way more trust in ESPN. It just seems like they have a real chance to be successful, ESPN bet does, whereas Barstool Sportsbook was always drawing dead. And that's just a branding thing, nothing else. Also, certainly doesn't hurt ESPN's launch that they're doing this crazy good sign-up deal. And by the way, these deals are going to become rarer and rarer. I mean, they're already getting rare. Most books have slashed their sign-up offers to a fraction of what they once were. They realize they have to slash their customer acquisition costs if they're going to have a chance to survive with all the regulations and fees and taxes. So yeah, if you bet sports, not saying you should, but if you bet sports, it would be insane. You'd have to really hate money not to grab the offer on ESPN bet. If you never had a Barstool account, all you have to do is download ESPN bet, use promo code ETR when you sign up, deposit at least $10, make a bet of at least $1, and they'll send you five $50 bonus bets. Hopefully you find a way to win some money on those, then you can withdraw if you want. On top of that, they're also doing a first deposit match up to 1K, but there's a long playthrough on that. So be aware that you can't just get the bonus match and withdraw on that part of the offer. But anyway, I know most people don't really care about the business side of all this. I find it fascinating. I also find the whole bonus whoring world fascinating. So again, promo code ETR at ESPN bet if you're interested there. All right, need to get to listener questions. But before I do, Black Friday sales are live at both EstablishTheRun.com and The Solver. First, ETR. If you have not tried our in-season product yet, we are running a deal where it's just $4.99 for your, your first week. That is the cheapest you'll ever get to try our in-season product. Access to all our projections, shows, content. Head to EstablishTheRun.com. You'll see a link to the Black Friday sale page. All the details are there. For The Solver, if you're a new subscriber, we're running a 50% off each NFL product sale. So the NFL Optimizer is 50% off with promo code NFL50. NFL Single Lineup Sim, aka put one lineup into the sim and it gives you projected ROI slash win rate, that's 50% off with code NFL50. And the NFL 20 Lineup Sim, same thing, NFL50 for 50% off. Just if you're going to use that code when you sign up for the first time with the solver, just please be sure to sign up with the same email as your ETR email so everything syncs. Don't have to have an ETR subscription to use the solver. But if you want our projections to sink in there, you do. All right, enough is enough. Let's get to everyone's favorite portion of the program, the listener questions. Producer Luke, hit the theme music. All right, appreciate the questions from everyone cleaning out the inbox here. We'll be asking for more questions next week. If you want to submit a question, be sure you're stay tuned to my Twitter at Adam Levitan. Probably on Monday, I'll ask for some more questions. Question one today comes from Joe Toy says, we spend every Thanksgiving at my brother's house with about 15 family members, including my two nieces and nephew who come back from college for the holidays. Last year, I went down to the basement to enjoy a beer to myself amidst all of the craziness and noise, only to walk in on my nephew and his girlfriend having aggressive doggy-style sex on the couch. They were facing me, so it was impossible to avoid. He yelled, get the fuck out, and continued the sex. We haven't spoken since, and I'm hesitant to even go to Thanksgiving this year. Any advice? Is that wrong, Joe? 
Should your nephew have not done that? Uh, is that frowned upon? Look, man, I, I view this as a good thing. All I hear is, oh, Adam, no one's fucking anymore. You know, the youths, they're on their phone and they're Snapchatting, and, uh, but virginity is at all-time highs. And also, Adam, it's all your fault. These guys, instead of talking to girls, they're playing DFS. Their heads are buried in spreadsheets and sims instead of talking to women and procreating. Your story, Joe Toy, is proof that they're not, that some alphas still exist. I mean, in the basement, doggy, while Thanksgiving is going on upstairs, not even a bathroom or a laundry room with the door locked. I mean, that's alpha. Now, as for your specific question, Joey, you're hesitant to go to Thanksgiving? Uh, why? I mean, just laugh about it with your nephew. This is an all-time story that you'll be laughing about on your deathbed. I'm jealous you even have this story. You know, I have so little. So, yeah, I would embrace it, man. Question two from Pablo says, recently my son's Little League coach showed me the $10 he had in play on a DraftKings NFL slate, and I showed him the 300 times as much I had going. How rich. He now thinks I am a total degen. Once made a similar mistake with a father and with my father-in-law, and he thought I was going to mortgage my family's entire future to gamble on sports. What's the optimal approach when dealing with normies who ask about your DFS volume? Lie? Be vague? Being honest risks causing unnecessary stress to others and potentially requires a horrifically long discussion. Many thanks. Yeah, I think you have the right read here, Pablo. I think you know you made a mistake because this is an easy pass. In these spots, I just say nothing. Like, you have to have the read that the person is a normie, you know, that they're not someone in our very small bubble here. If you have that read, when someone tells me that they play fantasy, I just say, ah, cool, that's awesome. You know, I've never really gotten into it. Or if they show me their DraftKings team, I just say, oh, man, that looks like fun. I never really got into it. You know, good luck. There's just no way you're going to win with these people if you're playing big because it's going to come off as pet shaming. And no one wants to be pet shamed. You know, and I and no one wants to pet shame. No normie is going to understand that while, yes, you have a Kia on this slate that you have done the work to expect over the long term to return five, eight, ten percent, whatever on that money. They're just going to think that you're a total degen. They're going to tell the neighborhood that you're circling the drain as a gambler. Of course, you know, Billy, who lives up the street and is in quote unquote finance, aka gambling his face off on stocks every day. Well, that's fine. That that's an upstanding citizen. Billy's an upstanding citizen because he wears a suit. And he has a leather briefcase and he sits in a cubicle all day. You know, we respect Billy. So yeah, I'm getting tilted here, but that's just why I never try to talk about this stuff in the wild. Massive asymmetrical downside, aka nothing to gain and so much to lose. Question three from Sean says, what are your thoughts on league commissioners changing rules in the middle of a fantasy football season? Ahead of week, ahead of week 10, I noticed my opponent's quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, was on a bye, and he didn't have another quarterback. Realizing there weren't a lot of quarterback options in the free agent pool, I picked up three quarterbacks, then dropped them Friday morning. He complained in the league message board that it was messed up. As a result, the league commissioner reversed all the moves and made the players I originally dropped, the quarterbacks I originally dropped, available for him to pick up again. Then he threatened to lock my team if I ever pulled that again. It's funny you bring this story up, Sean. I'm in a league with my friends from high school, League started in 1997 or so. Same situation. Two weeks ago on my team, I had Jalen Hurts. I did not have a backup rostered because I'm a derelict owner and just wasn't paying attention. 
I go to pick up a quarterback off waivers on Saturday and there's like no one out there on waivers. So I think to myself, I mean, man, this is weird. I go to the transactions page and it turned out that my good friend of 30 plus years, he dropped most of his bench, five guys. He dropped five guys off of, I think it's like a six or seven person bench, drops five guys off of them, burned his waiver priority on them to block me so that I couldn't have a quarterback. So what do I do? I don't whine. I don't complain. I don't go to the commissioner. I think what he did and what you did is well within the rules. He wants to drop his whole bench to try to block me. That's fine. The risk he's taking is that some of his bench guys might get picked up. I ended up picking up Will Levis that week, one anyway, and then ridiculed my friend on the message board with a long and detailed post about how pathetic he is. You know, shout out to me. Don't really see any other way to play it. Question five from Captain Ohio says, what is your take on people who schedule weddings during football season? It's socially irresponsible and incredibly rude as we only get so many weekends for ourselves. I got married in May, hashtag on brand. Yeah, you guys aren't going to believe this. I actually can't believe it myself, which is why I've tried to put it out of my mind. But my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, has scheduled her wedding for September 7th, 2024, which is truly, truly unbelievable. Like when they told me this, I was in utter shock. Just felt like I got punched right in the cock. I mean, out of every weekend on the entire calendar of the entire year, they landed on the first weekend of the 2024 NFL season. It's really so, so sick. Like whenever I'm losing, I always ask myself, you know, WWIE, when will it end? And after this, I've concluded it's just never, it's just never going to end. And look, family is undoubtedly more important than NFL or DFS. I would have zero problem whatsoever just dropping all things football for a weekend because my sister-in-law is getting married. That, that's totally fine. The problem for me is that I have this deep feeling that I just can't do that. Just too many people relying on me. Not only everyone at ETR who certainly could handle everything more than competently without me, but more importantly, all, all of you guys, you know, I just feel incredible guilt if I can't do what I promised. As for Captain Ohio's question, I mean, I get you're tilted. I think expecting the world to revolve around the NFL calendar. I get it, obviously. I wish that was the case. I also got married in May, but I think for most people, it's just an absurd notion, you know? I'm sorry. Question five from Marcus says, will ETR ever expand into the greatest sport on the planet, AKA proper football? So short answer is never say never. You know, if we think we can beat something and provide value to people, we'll do it. You know, we've done that with golf. We've done that with college football, you know, preseason NFL, NBA. If we think that we can provide value and beat it, we'll do it. It's obviously way harder than it seems. As for soccer specifically, I think the biggest draw that soccer has from a gambling perspective would be it's the most liquid market in the world for sports. You know, not these shitbag leagues and divisions, but if you want to bet anything, English Premier League, you know, World Cup, Champions League. I've actually never tried myself, but I'm assuming, I'm guessing that you can bet anything, any amount, just incredibly liquid. Of course, when a market is very liquid like that, it's also very, very efficient. You know, 
we'd be more interested in player props. I, I'm not sure how liquid that market is. But my bigger concern on soccer is just interest. Like, soccer DFS is small. Do, do most Americans even care about soccer? Which is crazy to me because now that I'm a parent, I mean, every kid plays soccer. Everyone. It's wild. I played soccer when I was a kid. Every kid in our neighborhood now plays soccer. And then by the time they're 12, I mean, I quit soccer when I was around 12. That's when a lot of people quit or they're 18, they quit. It's just much a small percentage of those kids go on to actually care after they quit. So what happens, it seems like, is our best athletes here in America don't stick with soccer. Odell Beckham was supposedly some insane soccer player as a kid. He chose to play football. You know, I know Steve Nash is Canadian, but he's supposedly some amazing soccer player. He played basketball. I'm sure there's tons more of examples like that. And I'm not certain why that is, but I have a guess. Here in America, even if you're unreal good at soccer, even if you're Christian Pulisic, who is incredible, no one cares. You're not famous, really. You know, no chicks know you. Advertisers are meh on using you in their commercials. Whereas if you're unreal at basketball or football or even baseball, the world is your oyster. You know, you go out and the plebes are buying you drinks. You know, you get panties thrown at you all day long. Fucking Pfizer wants to pay you to do commercials to show their drugs. They're not doing that for Christian Pulisic. So yeah, Marcus, I mean, the, the more I think about it, the more it seems unlikely in the near term. Um, but yeah, never say never. Question six from Joey says, with you feeling nothing by winning money in highly competitive tournaments and slowly melting into domestication, how long until you form your own fight club? Yeah, I mean, you have a sick read, Joey. You really do. I, I'm not doing so well mentally right now, just losing a lot and playing bad, you know, going into slates, expecting to lose the 1v1s and the 2v2s. Honestly, I, I feel like going into a basement somewhere and letting Brad Pitt punch me in the face. Um, but I think more than a fight club, I think the real answer for me is to spend some time doing stuff, not for money. You know, I, I've been either playing poker or playing DFS almost every day since 2004. You know, I'm going on 20 years of doing this. There's just no wonder my brain is completely busted. I, I think I need to spend some of my time doing stuff, not for money, you know, like volunteer to coach a basketball team that I have nothing to do with, you know, not my kid's team, just volunteer to try to help other kids. And, and maybe that'll give me some better mental clarity and meaning, but yeah, I'm open to ideas. Anybody out there, you know, maybe you want me to pet your puppy for 30 minutes free of charge. Let me know. I'd be happy to. All right. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Thanksgiving edition of the solo pod. Appreciate you all stay tuned to this pod feed. We will have waivers team by team coming real soon. Also, establish the show for the Thanksgiving slate and establish the million for the Thanksgiving slate are both free this week. Check those out on YouTube. And while you're on YouTube, hit subscribe. It is free. Helps us out a ton. For producer Luke, for Jerry, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm -hmm.